Good morning. Oh, I bet you thought you were going to have a Eucharist today. But that's okay. God, make our vision clear, our voices steady, our hands fit to do your work in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not used to either a pulpit or a mask, so. Oh, it is the task of the preacher to try to weave a thread through all the eclectic readings that you get of a Sunday. I wonder what's going to happen the next time they revise the lectionary. This one's not, this one has a good point and a few good points. And I will hope to bring them to light for you. Okay, I have a question and I want raising of hands. How many of you rolled your eyes? either inward or outward, when you were listening to what the capable wife is. Aha, 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 right? It's not just men, it's not just women, it's the bunch of y'all. Because I don't know what capable wife they got, but I don't know a lot of them here that fit this bill. But it's an ideal. We all need ideals. I mean, we have Jesus. That's a great ideal. But here we talk, the, the writer, the man, is telling us what a capable wife is and does. Now, we're not talking about your average wife, because if you read closely, she has servants. Not everybody has servants, and certainly in that day, not everybody had servants. She had disposable income. She could think about investing in property. Wow. And they wore purple. Far beyond comparison, purple cloth was hard to come by and was exquisitely expensive. So, we're not talking about Mary who rode on the donkey with, you know, with Joseph in tow. This is a different kind of wife altogether. <sighs> Certainly there are in our day women who provide these kind of things for their household with or without a current husband. Back in my day, growing up, I mean, you never saw Barbara Billingsley slaving over the servants, you know. But she did a lot. And in this accounting here, we hear about how it was important not to be idle. How it was important to show yourself well and show your husband well make him look very good. It's, it's, I think it's really funny that 
it says she could go out and buy the land and she could plant the seeds and the crops. And at the very end it says, and the man lets her keep some of what she, what she did. Woo. These days that wouldn't go at all, right? But we can glean the good parts from that. We see that she had good people skills, great managerial skills. They all work well in this world. She was able to balance things that needed to be done and supplying herself through wisdom. Like, like the households today, a capable woman, single with, a, with kids, she works. She teaches, she shops, she cooks, she volunteers, she drives everywhere, and she donates. She handles a great deal. She may not make linen garments, but none of us is perfect. On to Psalm 1, the good are happy. Once you're doing good, there is a happiness that comes to you. When you do good for others, there is a greater, good, there's a greater happiness within ourselves. And there is the image of the tree in arid places, in the, in the Far East, the Near East, heck, in the California desert, if you find a bush or a tree, you know there's water. Life-giving water. And there were bushes and trees throughout, throughout the, the Bible. We can think to the tree, the root of Jesse, which was the culmination in Jesus. We can think of our own family tree. And as Christians, we think of a particular tree, the cross, a particular water, baptism, and the fruits of the Spirit in doing good for ourselves, to ourselves, and to others. Oh, James, I love James. He's not, he's not one for lip service. He wants to see you doing it. Doing what you say is the right thing to do. And he's approaching sin from a point of wisdom. If you're wise, you will not fall into the tendency to let your inside, your envy, your greed, your ultra-competitiveness get the best of you. But the evil is inside. There's also the devil that's on the outside, you know, the little guy on your shoulder that suggests things to you that might be the easy way out. For James, a moral life flows from wisdom. 
And the wife had it too, if you go back there. James praises the rare and paradoxical wisdom embodied in the servanthood of Christ. Jesus repeats to the disciples in Mark for the second time. And Mark is a teeny tiny little gospel. You know, he's the guy that says, and this happened, and immediately that happened, the next happened, and the very next thing. Well, three times in Mark's gospel, he predicts Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection. And you know what? This is the second time. And the disciples are still not getting it. Maybe they are, and they're too afraid to go down that road. It's a scary thought to lose your leader, to lose the reason that you were traveling all over the place, to be killed, not to die, to be killed. So rather than deal with that hard topic, they start kibitzing between themselves. Who was the greatest among us? Now, I don't know if the disciples included Jesus in that. I don't know. And if they did, they're going to come out second, at least. So they quibble. Who is the greatest? Who's the favorite? Who's the one above all the rest? And you can imagine, well, he does this way, but he's really terrible at that. They go back and forth and back and forth. And when Jesus asks them, what, what were you talking about when we were traveling? They are so embarrassed. They sort of have this feeling, we're not supposed to be talking like this. But it was much easier than facing a grim reality. Jesus pulls them up by saying, the greatest must be a servant. That is, the least, not the greatest the least. There were 12 apostles, disciples, meant to be replacements for the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's clear from all his teaching that they were to serve and to welcome and receive a child because in welcoming a child and accepting a child, we accept Christ and, by extension, the Creator. That happens every time we have a baptism, you know? We all say, will you do everything in your power to help this kid? And, and everybody in the, in the uh, liturgical uh, group are saying, please say yes and say it loud. We need to mean it. Life from God is experienced in service to others. 
in God's eyes, each of us is the favorite one. Each of us. Each of us is the greatest one. We have great things to accomplish. You will, in your lifetime, never see another human face that God does not love. Never. Even your enemies. Talk about the greatest. It's a whole different concept, God's value system, and we are called toward it. It's an ideal. Treat everyone as you would God himself. Serve others. Serve God. Because God loved us first, our gratitude is shown by loving God, ourselves, and others. I commend you and me to show that love and that gratitude this day and always. Amen.